You're listening to the Movie Crew Podcast. Tonight, we're talking with actor Patrick Cox. Our dreams, they feel real while we're in them, right? It's only when we wake up that we realize something is actually strange. The middle children of history, man. No purpose or place. We have no great war. No great depression. Coming to get you, Barbara. We're on a mission from God. All right, sweethearts, you heard the man. Pull him out. Come on, let's have him. I will show you where I have made my home while preparing to bring justice. Then I will break you. How great was the spiritual war? How great depression is our lives. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Brian. With me tonight, Jeremy Benson. Hey, guys. And special guest, Mr. Patrick Cox, who is an actor. Pat, hello. Hello. How are you? Doing good, sir. You guys may know Pat from Two Broke Girls, Big Mary, or if you've seen The Dark Knight Rises, he gets his arm broken by Catwoman. Highlighted my career. (laughs) Or Live Animals, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. We made a little movie together a couple years back. I don't think Pat, like, claims it or anything, but... I don't even remember exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> All right, so Pat, you got your uh, you got your start in uh, in Memphis, right? Um, Memphis I acting. Did. Yeah, I was uh, you know I was wrestling and all that kind of stuff. Drew Smith had written a script that was supposed to be about a uh, brawny, nerdy looking guy that was actually based on a friend of ours, but. Uh, I don't know. One day he just looked at me and he decided that it would be funny if I played the part and I had never done any acting outside of, you know, in the ring. Um, so I uh, didn't really know what I was doing, but I jumped on board and it uh, all kind of started there. And then I got a got an agent and it was received pretty well. And now I'm in Los Angeles. <laughs> how, how was the what was the, the deciding move to go to Los Angeles? Because sure, that's got to be like a really crowded market. For someone like myself, it's a little less crowded. I think most people think that, you know, if if you're going to move to Hollywood and become an actor, you've got to be like, you know, the Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise type. And, and that's not true at all. You know, they're they're always looking for all, all sorts of types. So, you know, when you got, you know, there's only so many six foot five, 300 pound guys that can act, I guess. So <laughs> it, was a, it was a little easier for me. I guess, I guess uh, Savage County was really the, uh, the reason I uh, did a, another small horror movie for MTV and um, they brought in a you know, director and cast and crew and everything from LA. And uh, every one of them, I think at some point or another told me that I needed to move to LA. So <laughs> I uh, saved up some money, took their advice and the, the rest of they say is history. Before we get into like the move to LA, I wanted to talk a little bit about that video that we did together. Mainly because I directed you in Live Animals. That got picked up and released. And you were the only actor that used that as like a springboard. Like I remember when the people from Savage County called and asked for suggestions of local actors. And I was like, well, you know, I gave you and uh, a couple of the other people that were in the movie. 
And mm-hmm. there's kind of a mentality with actors, and you can address this more, but it, it has to happen for me where you kind of approached it more as I'm going to use this as a springboard. I'm going to make something happen. Yeah, well, I mean, that whole thing, like, I, I will always look at live animals as sort of what got me here, honestly. I mean, ultimately, the it, it's what started the uh, the string of events that landed me here. Uh, I remember Jeanette calling me and saying, um, you know, my friend Jeremy is making a movie. There's a part in it I think you'd be right for. Would you like to meet him? Went down to the the, uh, the old uh, movie theater that used to be downtown. And uh, and you said, yeah, I think that'll work. Uh, I still had to read for you and everything. But, um, yeah, I mean, because of Live Animals, you know, uh, Craig Brewer uh, realized who I was. Um, he also put in a good word with the Savage County people. And that, that part actually was originally written for a 50-year-old. And that guy um, had to cancel. Um, so they decided to make the character younger and gave me a shot at it. And, uh, a lot of, it really was just a lot of right place, right time stuff for me that led me to meeting the right people to help me out when I got here and, and all that. But it also but, took uh, you getting out and talking to people and pushing your past work and being proud of it. And I mean, like you went to LA when we screened at the, uh, Hollywood film festival. I think it's very important. I look at every, everything I do. Um, which is why, you know, one suggestion I have for younger actors is it is important to build your resume and to get some stuff on there, but, you know, be, be a little, be a little choosy. You can say no, you know, be a little choosy about what you do, um, so that you can be proud of what you do when you go out and try to push it. Um, everything I've ever done, you know, I look, I look at it as a chance for someone to see me and, uh, you know, maybe see something in me that they want for another project. Like, you with live animals, like, it would have been really easy to just cast you as the big, brutal guy. But beforehand, we had talked about, no, we want to create this character where you're sort of just this average Joe doing a job. You just happen to be the big, brutal guy. Um, exactly, yeah. And then you'd mentioned at one point that it's important to you that you don't you don't fall into that typecast of only doing the big, tough guy stuff. I mean, yeah, roles like in Book of Noah and... Um... You know, Big Mary, obviously. Even something as simple in Live Animals is, you know, us making the decision to have me, like, eating a bag of chips when I get my paycheck. You know, just little things like that to take it away from the stereotypical uh, big guy role. I mean, there, there were a couple of roles this week um, I wouldn't, I didn't even go audition for because, you know, I have enough <laughs> generic big guy stuff on my reel. You know, um, and that's something you just brought up, like the chip thing. And I'll tell the story. We were about to shoot a scene and Pat came to me and was like, the the idea of the scene was this is just a dude getting his paycheck. Now, his paycheck is for kidnapping and selling people. But for him, it's a job. And Pat came to me and he was like, you know, I need something to make it more mundane. And he came up with the idea to eat chips. And as a director, like. For actors to come and say, hey, this is something I think the character would be doing, that's like, that's really feeds on the creativity. It's really, it's dull as a director, in my opinion, when the actor just is waiting for you to tell them what to do. They have no input on the character whatsoever. Do you find that that helps a lot of times for you to... I always try and find something, you know, I tell people all the time, like, I've never actually gone to any professional acting school or acting classes the best acting school I've ever went to was watching 
everything Marlon Brando has ever done. I mean, they they teach some of the stuff that he improvised, like in right. On the Waterfront when when he picks up the glove and sits on the swing, you know, kind of gave him a, a more of a childish, uh, sympathetic feel. So, I mean, if I'm doing a regular scene and I'm sitting at a diner table eating a sandwich, if you start talking to me, you know, maybe I'll start, you know, playing with the salt shaker or something, you know. <laughs> You'll find some business uh, to make the scene a little bit more interesting. It's not just people setting. Yeah, it. it's less stiff, and it, and it's also a lot easier when – you have a little bit of, uh, when you have a director that is, there's a lot of directors that want you to do it exactly the way it's written. They do not want to hear your thoughts and ideas. But when you have one that's like, you know, open, like like you were, that was open to like, you know, that would be kind of cool if he was sitting there eating a bag of chips and, and getting his check and just being very nonchalant about it. Because, you know, I read the original draft of Live Animals and that really, the character. And it developed because of, you know, a mutual collaboration between the director and the, the actors. And it was uh, a, it, that that one scene in particular was probably my favorite uh, in the entire film from you know that I was in. I want to say it was Clint Eastwood, but I can't say for sure. And he'd made the comment that it's the director's job to tell the story. It's the director and the actor's job to collaborate and create characters. It it I, I know from my point of view, like it's always more exciting when somebody has like a suggestion about you know, how to do something or what the character might do, a character motivation. I mean, I hate it mm -hmm. when people come up and go, what's the backstory on this character? Like, you don't need to know that. It, it, whatever's in the script is what you need to know. Create the rest on your own and keep it to yourself. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's what I do a lot. You know, I mean, it's very cliche, but a lot of acting really is making choices. One thing that I, I tell people, you know, often, because when you're starting out, you're going to be going out for really quote crappy parts you're going to be the waiter right uh you're you're, you're going to have one line and it's going to be would you like some more water sir <laughs> and one of the biggest problems that young actors have is that's their moment you know they're going to make something huge out of this moment this is it for them they're going to get discovered and it's a throwaway line your job at that point it's just to move the scene along. You're not there to make a statement. I'll watch a lot of old TV shows on Netflix and stuff, and I'll see people who are stars now have their own television shows. And I'll be like, oh, wow, that guy was a, a waiter on the Gilmore Girls. You know, he had one line. Pat, why are you watching um, the Gilmore Girls? Because the Gilmore Girls is awesome, and it is... <laughs> My wife would agree with you. I'm a, I'm a fan of snappy dialogue and melodrama. If you judge me, so help me God, I will hang up on you in a heartbeat. So are you excited about the uh, Girls. the uh, reboot of, or the continuation of Gilmore Girls that's about to start? Well, I just rewatched uh, every season um, again <laughs> in anticipation of it, so you can you can judge that for yourself. Oh, my gosh. But, uh, Back important. on topic. <laughs> Back to that waiter thing, though. It's like that's a great balance between – when to try to do business, or when you need to be almost invisible to let the other actor carry it. And it, and, and you need to know that. And you need to know, like, you should do your homework. Like, if I'm going out for something that's a, you know, decent-sized role on a, on a show that's already established, I'll watch several episodes so I'll know the dynamic of the characters. If the, if the character on the, sh on the show, if it's a TV show that you're reading with, is very high energy, you don't you don't want to play at high energy. That's his job. Right. Um, you know, if, if he's very low energy, you might want to pep it up a little bit. You know, there's all kinds of things. It's important to know who your character is and 
when you're starting out, nine times out of ten, your character is just the waiter. He is just the bouncer. He is just the guy in the bar. He does not need a backstory. He does not need to really hit that beat. He needs to say his line and be done, cash his check, and pay his sag dues. But if you're, you know, if you're given the opportunity, do your own thing, do it. And if the director doesn't like it, he can say cut and they can do it again. You know, um, that's another very, very, very important thing is to uh, learn how to take notes quickly from your, from the director, producer, writer, whoever's telling you. Um, Thank you. They hate having having to tell you 15 times. You need you need to be able to hear their note, process it, and do it. Yeah, that that's always a a big sign of professionalism when you can go, hey, can you do it like this? And they immediately get what you're trying to say instead of having to go over. And then line readings is almost the most maddening thing you can deal with. Oh, sure. Okay. One of the best things I ever did was work on uh, cold reads and actual auditioning. You know, it's uh, it's much different than doing it, you know, on set or on screen. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's all about, it really is all about being able to take notes and comprehend them, like, on the fly. And we were both lucky, too, to work with the now past John Still, who constantly reminded everybody, a lot of times less is more. Some, I tell people all the time one of the best pieces of advice I ever got, and I do it a lot because they'll, I'll hear I'll hear other big guys auditioning through the door or whatever, and one thing I hear all the time is you're already big and scary, you don't have to be over the top to intimidate this person that you're talking to in this scene. And one of the best pieces of advice John ever gave me was on the set of Live Animals. He looked at me and he goes, "You want to know how to get someone's attention?" And he leaned in real close with that creepy looking at his eye when he wanted to <laughs> right and he goes whisper and i had chills down my spine but that was, that was some of the best advice i've ever gotten and uh i miss john a lot yeah he was a good guy he was yeah and a hell of an actor i, I really wish he had had more of a chance to uh show the world he was he was a really good actor you know john was one of the gems to work with you were really easy to work with uh do you got any advice on like attitude to have on set and professionalism compared to like how much attention you should be given because you're the actor or well your 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 default should always be yes sir no ma'am be the be the nicest person on planet earth if you're frustrated if you're having a bad day it's one thing if you're christian bale and you're very established you're you're allowed to have a meltdown every once in a while just hope nobody's filming it right but hey we, there's three people we really like for this part but we've worked with jeremy and he's really easy to work with really professional and you know if all things are equal let's go with the known commodity um it, you know it, it, if you're having a bad day go to your trailer and punch a pillow or scream into the toilet or <laughs> do, do something but don't 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 show it on set you know, uh, you know, always be smiling and shaking hands. Do your best to remember every name. You know, I don't care if it's a grip or a PA or the craft services person. It's funny. I, I see a lot of people that aren't even really, you know, they're not established. They're not, they're not stars. They're not on any sort of alphabetical list. They're not, you know, they're not even G listers. And, and, you know, they get a, a guest star on something and they all of a sudden act like they're Robert Redford or something and walking around and, ordering people to go get them water and, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Um, and I, I really honestly don't think people like that are going to go very far. 
And uh, so, yeah, attitude and professionalism is is always very important. I I always try to maintain eye contact and nod and 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 try to absorb everything they're saying. Like you know, working with Christopher Nolan, as brief as my scene was, you know, it still it took two days to shoot it <laughs> because of the uh, the the physical aspects of the of the scene. Um, but you know, everything he said, I absorbed it because I the last thing on earth I wanted was for Christopher Nolan to say no, Patrick, like this. Try it again. All right, uh, so you brought up so, The Dark Knight Rises. Uh, can you give us a little insight in what that was like to get that part on set, what Nolan was like? It's the scene where uh, Catwoman is being taken to jail. And, in the trailer. Um, you know, she, it, it was in the trailer. She's walking out of the thing, and I say something like, a little closer, baby, or something, and she walks over and holds my hand and says, like this, baby, and she does a, like a cartwheel flip and snaps my arm. I walked on set. I didn't even realize who he was. He doesn't have a director's chair. He's not at Video Village. He is right there by the camera um, the whole time. Uh, incredibly patient, incredibly kind. Um, did not raise his voice once after about the 80th time. I mean, that stunt was hard because she was having to fit her feet on a cartwheel between these two wires that were barely you know, wider than her feet. <laughs> right. It was not easy. And and she's you know, doing I, I the stunt herself. The, yeah, I think around the 40th take, I, I thought, oh my God, he's about to get frustrated. And he just walked over and he goes, would you like to take a break? Are, are, you, are you good or would you like to take a break? You know, very sincere, very, very calm and kind. And uh, it's just, just fantastic to work with. I mean, very low key. Yeah, I would almost have to check his pulse sometimes just because <laughs> he was so calm, <laughs> you know. Um, but it, I mean, I would, I would, if he directed me how to get to Seven Eleven, I would be honored. Um, he's, 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 he's really fantastic. I will take that right, Mr. Nolan. I will take that left after the right. I will do it. And you said yeah. that he actually like came over and was, and directed you too. Like he didn't send like the assistant director to go, t- go talk to the extra guy. He handpicked you for that part, right? Yeah, actually I was surprised because it was one of the few auditions that I went to where I wasn't, um, surrounded by other people that look like me and they had told me that it was for something called magnus rex i believe which turned out to be the name of his kids um so i didn't even know i was auditioning for the dark knight i had no clue um but yeah then they told me that yes he actually handpicks people and he he like even the smallest detail uh as far as you know the smallest character in the film he 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 makes that decision and that was a that was a big honor for me Actually, a really funny story from that is uh, uh, the Oscar award-winning actress that played Catwoman is Anne Hathaway. Anne Hathaway, sorry, <laughs> on it. So she's she's standing there, and I'm in. I'm locked in an actual jail cell in an actual prison with a giant guy that really, honestly, looked like he. I, I think most of the extras in this scene <laughs> were actual parolees. And, you know, this guy was trying to talk to me the whole time, and it was just really awkward. And he, I forget exactly what he was saying, but he started giving Anne Hathaway acting advice. And I was like, oh, I was like, I can't wait for security to come get this guy and make him leave. That'll be fun. And she was so cool about it. Like, there, there are people in this town that I have heard stories that if you even make eye contact with them, you're fired. And here he is. You know, she hadn't quite won the Oscar yet, but, you know, um, she was – still Anne Hathaway. And here's this extra 
telling her what to do. And I can just imagine him sitting back watching the Oscars and going, yeah, that's. <laughs> I taught her that. Her. That's what got her the statue. She took my advice. See, look, that, this is what happens. Yeah. You take my advice. You win Oscars here. Now, hey, can you tell the script? <laughs> Why have I not? Why have I not reached that go- that level yet? I don't, Dude, I don't you know. should have been listening to that guy in that jail cell. He had great advice there. I would not be living in a small little bungalow in Torrance right now had I listened to that man. Uh, dude, <laughs> bottle up some of his advice. Send it our way. Now, you, <laughs> can you tell the script story? That was super weird. Like I did. It's like you know the stuff that I that I read for the audition was nothing from the from from the movie. It was just some random script that he uh, that he just had people read to make sure they weren't complete idiots, I guess. So I'm sitting at home around four o'clock one afternoon and a phone number pops up on my phone that I'd never seen before. It was only four digits. That's weird. So I, uh, uh, I answer it. They're like, is this, is this Patrick Cox? Yes. There will be a courier arriving at your apartment in about five minutes. Please meet him downstairs. <laughs> I was like, I was like, you know, pulling off my shoot phone to, to call, you know, Agent 99 and tell her we got a mission. And uh, uh, this guy shows up and he makes me sign some papers and he hands me this envelope and it's a manila envelope and in red across it, it just said, eyes only. And I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> Man, so that is some James Bond stuff right, right there. I open up the, the manila envelope and inside it is another smaller sealed envelope. And inside that, are my sides and it said a little closer baby and i was just blown away that they went through all that james bond <laughs> like I, I was waiting for the paper to tell me it was about to self-destruct for one left like the guy that called me could have just said hey here, here's your line right <laughs> try to remember it <laughs> it's like hey is this pat but they okay. actually try they, to remember they actually this. paid a man to drive halfway across town to hand me that to tell me that one life along and, with you know, a lawyer a, to draft the non-disclosure forms that you signed that's the even crazier part i never signed a non-disclosure i think it was strictly like people knew if you take pictures or start telling tales out of school you will never work again well, I, I figured was the, that was the gist. paper they had you sign before they handed you no, a it was special just, envelope the papers were just it was like three different forms basically saying the same thing i received this that was weird. That's, I, I, I've, I've never had any experience where my script wasn't the full script wasn't emailed to me. You know the whole thing, but uh, yeah, Chris Nolan, don't play. <laughs> James Bond works for Christopher Nolan. Well, he, he did want to make a James Bond movie. Maybe he was just living it out. He still may make a James Bond movie, dude. Hey, chips it, aren't in. If yet. it's a remake, I will totally be Jaws. Oh, dude, that would be amazing. Yeah, that's my that's my hope. I keep hoping, like, because the, the, the people on set are like, oh, once once Chris knows you, once he's once he's worked with you, you're 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 set. You're going to work with him again. Don't worry about it. So every day, I keep waiting for that phone call, but it has not come yet. Now, other than Christopher Nolan, I know my kids have seen that's Mr. Pat on the Disney Channel a bunch. That's that's, that's something else that's just hilarious to me. When I first got in town, people were looking at my resume, going, "Really, you've never done Sons of Anarchy?" And I was like, "No." <laughs> Um, they're like, well, you're, I guarantee you'll do Sons of Anarchy and Justified. You won't have any problem. I did Justified, which was an incredible experience. I never even got in the room to read for Sons of Anarchy, but Disney and Nickelodeon, they loved me in the early days. <laughs> <laughs> I did quite a bit of Nickelodeon and Disney. 
it is funny, like, because I've, I've actually been at, at uh, auditions, usually commercial auditions, where there's, you know, all kinds of different stuff being cast. And I've had little kids come up to me and ask me if I was on Good Luck Charlie or or Victorious or whatever and want to take a picture with me. And, and it's, they have no idea that I'm nobody because they're kids. I like kids. Auditioning, that's like, that's a big thing for actors. It's like, it, it's emotional. It's a huge deal. What is that like for you? And I think that's why, I mean, I can usually walk into an audition room and immediately tell who's not going to get the part because they're nervous and twitchy and freaking out and trying to make sure they're completely off book. And, you know, you can just tell that they're, they put too much thought into it. Uh, some of the, some of the best jobs I've gotten have been when I really didn't care and I was just having a bad day and just didn't really even want to go to the audition. And I just walked in and did my thing and left. And I, I really, I think just like with acting, the more you try to act, the worse the performance. Um, if it's a, if it's a huge thing, like a, you know, like a series regular or a big movie part or something, sure. I'll, you know, usually get a couple of weeks to prepare, but generally most auditions are like, here's, here's your audition. Here's your sides. Be there tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. I remember so, your advice to, I think you were speaking at a panel. Somebody asked you what's your process. And you said, when the director says, action i act and when he says cut i stop i i, I really feel like, like like anytime anyone's ever criticized the performance of mine or something you know it's not hasn't been often but you know sometimes you make the worst mistake an actor can do a working actor can do which is uh google yourself right um i, I always say you know it's it's, it's it, my job is to give the director what he wants and if the director says good job let's move on i've given him what he wants I, I don't spend a whole lot of time freaking out about decisions or uh, they say go, I do it. And then if they want something different, they tell me and I give it to them. <laughs> you were really, you were really easy in that way. I, I remember you uh, counseling another actor saying, don't worry if he, if he didn't like it, we wouldn't be moving on. Something I said once that just made me feel the dumbest ever. They had just, like, like Two Bro Girls was only supposed to be one line, one episode. I was never supposed to come back. And, in fact, during the table read, one of the PAs told me, hey, man, you're still going to get paid, but they're probably going to cut your scene. Just lucky for me, the whole room lost their shit when I did my voice, and they kept me. But I walked up to Michael Patrick King, who is, you know, if you don't know, he created uh, and produced Sex in the City, and, you know, he's, he's... Kind of a legend. And uh, I walked up to him and I said, he said, okay, moving on. And I was like, did I give you what you wanted? Is that what you want? And he looked at me right in the face and said, if you didn't, I would have told you. You know, almost like, <laughs> or, you know, it was like he was telling me I'm Stop stupid. Stop being needy. And, tell it, and saying, don't tell me I'm stupid and don't know my job at the same time. Um, and Michael's a lovely man. Don't get me wrong. But, um, but yeah, that was a big lesson to me and shut up and let the director direct. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the only time I even get nervous was when, uh, it, you know, Two Bro Girls taped a lot of the show in front of a live audience. Uh, so sometimes that was a little, little nerve-wracking. But um, Oh, man, what was that like, dude? The first time, it was a nightmare <laughs> because I had never done uh, a live, you know, a live TV taping before. Yeah. And I had never thought of pausing for laughter the set that we were shooting the the pastry school set on was on the side of the audience separated by a wall. They could only see it on a monitor. I was panicking 
because I guess I was so zoned in on what I was doing and so nervous. I didn't hear any laughter. I was starting to get flop sweat, man. I was like, I'm, I'm bombing. <laughs> and then, you know, Michael comes over to me and I'm like, man, I'm about to get, you know, my asshole torn out. And he goes, he goes, Patrick, that was fantastic. But you have to pause for laughter. And I was like, wait, they laughed. He was like, they were laughing hysterically. Are you deaf? Obviously. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was very, very nerve wracking. Uh, almost as nerve wracking as uh, the first time I had to kiss a dude on that show, which is a little known fact because they ended up cutting it from the episode. <laughs> Maybe it's on the DVD extras. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, how'd you prepare for that one? I, I, I spent a lot of time talking to the guy because it was the first job he had ever done in Hollywood, <laughs> and he was about he, oh, boy, he was about a six six three hundred and forty pound red headed pale big dude and. He was so eager to do this right, and like he's like licking his lips, like like everything, like before we do it the first time. I'm like, dude, it's a stage kiss. Like, don't have to put that much thought into it. <laughs> Please don't put your tongue in my mouth. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was it was a weird experience. I, I, did, I had we shot that about fifteen times, I guess. Um, not not including all the rehearsals. Um, needless to say, every producer and network exec involved in the show had to be there to, to, to watch me do that. Um, but, uh, unfortunately they cut it. I, I actually, it, 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 that would have been something that would have gone on my reel. I think, <laughs> you know, I mean, when I'm walking down the street, normally I, I don't look anything like big Mary, but, um, now that it's been in syndication for a while, I've been on TBS, uh, I'm starting to get, you know, recognized for a lot more in airports and like, I got, I was in Texas recently and had a lot of people asking me if I was that guy and stuff. And what's funny is it's always guys that ask this question, but they almost always ask it. Hey, man, uh, I, I, I don't care or nothing, man. I don't care. I'm cool. But, um, <laughs> uh, are, are you really gay? You know, and I generally go straight into Big Mary voice and answer yes. <laughs> um, now, you yeah, got a little that, that, flack that. from some of the gay community about that voice, didn't you? A little, but it was extremely harsh. <laughs> right. I mean, it was like 99% positive, and so many people got my back on the issue because they were like, you know, you know, it's so much. So you had, you had a big that, gay following before that. Yeah, long before that. Yeah, long before that. That started with a uh, actually a Cartoon Network movie I did called Ben 10 Alien Swarm. Um, that's where that blew up, but... Uh, my kid yeah, I got to. death threats. I got people, like one guy wrote me, he said that I might as well put on blackface and carry a watermelon. Really? Um, yeah, I mean, it got it got really harsh. And, you know, it's hard. I grew up handling situations like that a certain way. And now that I'm, you know, an actor, I, I can't. So I have to try to be, you know, cool and understanding. And the biggest mistake I ever made was responding to those messages and trying to, you know, you know, help them to understand and and because they didn't want to know, understand. See what, they didn't. They didn't want to understand at all. <laughs> you don't feed the trolls, man. You don't feed the trolls. They just keep coming back. These guys not really trolls. These guys not really trolls. They they felt that they had a real justified problem. You know, they felt that the character should have been portrayed by an actual gay man. And you know, I, who am I to tell them they don't they don't have the right to that opinion? You know, I mean, I'll. I can't understand what it's like to be another ethnicity or another sex or another... I, I don't know what that's like, so I'm not going to tell somebody they don't have the right to feel however they want to feel about that. Well, but, you no, know, they can they, feel the way they want to feel, involved. you know, but why are they bringing that to you? What are you going to do about it? 
You know? I, I don't know. You're the I mean, actor. The You're the, was, somebody hired you to play this part. The character was written, developed, and cast by a gay man. And I thought it was handled very well. Like he went, he went out of his way for me to not be cartoonish or, or you know, a right. stereotype. I mean, it was it was actually uh, a lot of thought and in going into it. I remember talking to you about it around the time because I remember a lot of your fans kind of took up for you. Um, yeah, yeah, they were they were great about it. Uh, have you got to work with any yeah. of your uh, like you know childhood idols? Um, I got to meet Clint Eastwood, which was one of the highlights of my life. I guess the closest would have been Garrett Morris, um, just because I grew up, you know, watching him on Saturday Night Live, and he was completely shocked when I came in with my DVD copy of The Stuff for him to autograph. He, like, I, I could, like, every morning I would sit and just listen to him tell stories. Man, it was that was awesome. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm sure if I, I'm sure later I'm going to go. Oh crap! I, I did work with this guy on this, but yeah, as far as, as far as I can remember, childhood heroes, not so much. Well, I know you were in that uh, that legendary with uh, Danny Glover and uh, who was the wrestler uh, wrestler John John Cena John Cena John Cena. Yeah, um, yeah I never actually met Danny. Um, John was great. He called me the next morning and set up an audition for me with the WWE. Um, he was fantastic. I mean, I guess, you know, working with Charlie Sheen was kind of interesting and cool. You know, been a fan of his since I was a kid, I suppose. The Young and the Restless. I did that in honor of my grandmother. Uh, soap operas do not pay hardly anything. My dressing room was actually the changing room where women that brought their kids to work would come in randomly and change dirty diapers in front of me. <laughs> um, but uh, I did I did one episode because that was my, my, my grandmother. Like when she passed, I found hundreds of old VHS tapes where she had just taped every episode of Young and the Restless for the last 30 years. It was insane. Veronica Mars? Show that I was a huge fan of and was very stoked to be in. Kristen Bell is another incredibly nice person. Oh, is she? Oh, I mean, she was fantastic, and she was she was still pregnant at the time. They were doing a good job of hiding that in the uh, in the movie. But uh, yeah, I mean, she was one. Of, like, there's a lot of people that that you know think their shit doesn't stink and won't even you know say hi to you if you stick your hand out for a handshake. But Kristen would just come sit down in a chair next to you and talk and kill time. She was she was fantastic. Man, that's awesome because she man, I think she's a real underrated actress. I think she's yeah, really good. Uh, the first time I re- the first time I remember seeing her was in Deadwood. And I, I don't know how old she was at the time. She, she you know, couldn't have been more than, you know, a middle teenager, I would guess. And she played such an intense, brutal, uh, just almost savage character that I remember watching that and going, holy shit, that girl is going to be somebody. Like, she has talent. That, I was really impressed. Uh, she's really good on House of Lies. She's fantastic on that show. But, uh, oh, yeah, I haven't seen uh, that. Yeah, she, she really has talent that has not been fully explored yet i don't think by hollywood and uh, she's gonna she's gonna get that role one day that's gonna win her an oscar i don't i don't doubt that yeah i was really hoping to see her like kind of come in and do like uh, some scream queen roles uh, after she did that movie uh pulse at, yeah. the movie's not very Terrible good movie yeah but she was really good in it man i loved her in that film yeah. i thought she was so awesome you know like everything she but did what's great about her is i really wanted to see her in did, more uh, horror films for getting Sarah Marshall and actually made fun of herself for doing that movie in that movie. So that was, yeah, that's always a sign of a good attitude. But yeah, there's a lot of people like that, that I think are underrated. I think Anna Ferris is an incredible actress. Um, she, you know, seems to only get the little comedy roles and stuff. Um, not little necessarily, but you know, comedy roles, but I really think some of the best dramatic 
actors are comedians, you know, because I think, I think comedians have to, you know, really have to pull from, from some uh, dark places sometimes to find laughs. And uh, the timing is so difficult in comedy. Yeah, comedic acting that, is that, really, uh, really hard. It's it's absolutely the hardest thing to do. I know I know guys out here that say they won't do it because they tried it and and it was a horrible experience and they just they won't even audition for for sitcoms anymore. <laughs> it's so hard. I mean, because you you're it, it is really all about timing. There's no, especially on a show like Two Bro Girls, which is really really Spitfire man. It's like the average sitcom script would be twenty two to thirty pages. We'd be working with a forty forty five page script because it's just you know, machine gun dialogue uh, delivery. How long, how long does it usually take to shoot one of those, uh, like, like one episode? Well, one episode is usually about a week. Um, the episode of bones I did took about 10 days. That was cause there was a lot of, it was a cowboy, like a Western episode. There was a lot of horses and gunplay and stuff like that, that they had to, had to set up for and stuff. So that one took a little bit longer, but, uh, two bro girls is always a week. It's, you know, uh, Tuesday morning table read, you know, Wednesday run through and then Thursday and Friday are the rehearsals and, and, uh, you know, for the, for the network and stuff. And then, you know, Monday they tape, but they're going to tape. And then, then, I mean, you know, Friday they tape, but they're going to tape. Monday is the show night. And then Tuesday you start all over again. So that's, that's a solid week. It's, it's a lot of work for what amounts to about 20 minutes of bear time. For actors, you guys are used to like, you know, in film, there's a lot of waiting in between and, Correct me if I'm wrong, but from my understanding, like TV, you don't you don't have that as much. Oh no, absolutely not. It's it's exactly the same. Oh really? Um, I mean, there'll be. Yeah, I mean, generally they feel like, well, we're paying them for the day, so you know, if we shoot something at eight o'clock in the morning, you know, he's got a trailer, he can go chill in it until four p.m. and then we'll shoot something else. Luckily, Two Bro Girls was always shot on a uh, on a on a you know soundstage, so that wasn't as much of an issue. But even that was cool. Like at, at Warner Brothers, every stage has like uh, a plaque outside listing some of the big movies that were that were filmed there. And like realizing that we were shooting that stage on the same, shooting that show on the same stage that Streetcar Named Desire was filmed on. What? You know, uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, one of the Batman movies. Man, that's awesome. You know, some James, some James Dean stuff. Uh, a Star Is Born. There's all kinds of classic films and stuff were shot there. Oh man! So you guys shoot that on the, at the Warner lot? Yeah, yeah. Man, I, I I love Warner Brothers so much. That's my favorite studio. Got a slight obsession with them. It's great. Yeah, we shot right across the street from uh, like if you were facing the the main door, right behind us would be where um, Conan apes, and then on the other side of the building across the alley is where um, the Big Bang Theory is shot. You know, it, it's it's cool. It's weird too because you know, you're walking around, you never know who you're going to see. Um, like I just accidentally ran into Clint Eastwood. <laughs> oh, it's it's and it's still surreal to me. I've, I've been here for five years, and it's still weird for me to just you know be walking to work in the morning and uh, hey Conan, how you doing? You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know just, just randomly seeing these people that have no idea who you are, but you know you're you're seeing them, and it's it's strange because they're not supposed to be real. They're supposed to only live in television. Yeah, I'm very I'm very familiar with that, you know. I mean like the even still like like that's my relationship with most actors. Like it's, you know, I'm I'm an editor, so all I even when people are performing or not performing, I'm only seeing them on a screen. You know, yeah. even afterwards when I'm like meeting actors and and talking to people afterwards, it's it is kind of weird like meeting somebody it's like 
I I know your character. I don't really know you. How are you doing? <laughs> and it's also great because you get to see all these like 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 fantastically beautiful actresses in the morning without makeup, without their hair done. <laughs> like you you get to see the bare bones of all these people. You know, it's uh, it's interesting. If there and there've been a, a ton of really incredible people I've, work, I've worked with, and a lot of this is because I've spent so much time on that show. I mean, really, if I could work every day with Kat and Beth and Jennifer, uh, you know, those are beautiful people. They're genuinely good people. Like, you know, if you seem a little down, they're going to come give you a hug and ask you if you're doing okay. I mean, they're really good people. Um, and, and luckily, the vast majority of actors, directors, everyone that I've dealt with in Hollywood have been absolutely awesome. Um, and I've only really encountered a handful of massive dickheads usually usually the more successful a person is the nicer they are on set <laughs> the worst of the worst are the people that used to be really big and their careers have sort of taken a serious downturn over the last 10 15 years that still seem to want to try to make sure you understand how important they are right those are those are those are the worst kind Generally speaking, I've had a positive experience on 90% of the stuff I've done. TV, commercials, film. Honestly, like I just did a Nissan commercial with a, a guy that played, uh, oh my God, why can't I do names today? Uh, from Breaking Bad, um, Tuco. We got to play Tuco on, on Breaking oh, okay. Bad. One, one of the most intense dudes you'll ever see on screen, but just absolutely hilarious, laid back, smiley, just a good dude. You know, you've gone from doing the I'm working for free on this Memphis movie for a friend to that is now your job. And right. Like you said, you just did a commercial, you've done TV stuff, you've done feature films. One of the best documentaries I've seen for any actor is I, I I'm, I'm paraphrasing the title. I saw it on Netflix. It was called something like, uh, that guy from that thing. And it was, you know, mainly character actors. It's got a ton of good advice, but, one of the best things I heard was no is the, is the password to the next level. You have to have a resume. You know, you have to start doing stuff. So like if you can be picky, be picky, but if you can't, you know, to be perfectly honest, America, half my resume when I came to Hollywood was complete bullshit. I made it up. I put my friends' names down as the directors. It was total bullshit because no one's going to bother to go check all that crap. First of all, if you, if you want to be an actor, or an actress, if it's not something you just have to do or you're not lucky enough like me to just kind of fall into it, have a backup plan. <laughs> it, 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 it's not for everybody. I tell most people, um, if I, you know, whenever I talk to large groups, that my best advice to anyone that wants to move to Hollywood is don't, because um, it, will, it, will, it will crush you. I'm not going to sugarcoat it and tell you it's magical and they're handing out sitcoms at the airport. Right. It's, it's it's really hard. Um, I've you know, been told my entire career that I have a, quote, unique look. So that's that's worked well for me. We've talked about it with directors and, and producers and stuff on the show, but you hear the term be professional. Explain it from an actor's point of view. Like, what does that mean? Because I think a lot of people get it confused. It, I, I guess it's pretty simple. Show up on time, and by that I mean early. Right. I'm usually at least an hour early to any set. I mean, sometimes I get 
the set so early that people start making fun of me for it. Um, but especially in LA with traffic, you don't want to risk it. Be on time because, oh, I'm sorry, I'm 20 minutes late. Yeah, and you just set the whole production back 20 minutes. Thank and you. you still haven't gotten into makeup and hair and whatever. And you're putting, and everyone else is waiting for you, and you're wasting everyone else's time. Um, be prepared. Know your, know your part. Um, you don't have to memorize an entire script. It's not a play. But you get your sides. Know your scenes. I mean, even most, like, people I've worked with that have been doing TV for 20 years, you know, they're still on set carrying their sides in their back pocket. Um, but, you know, be prepared, you know. That's that's really the the only thing anyone can ask of you, and then treat every single person on that on that set with respect. Nobody is so beneath you that you don't need to be respectful of them and their time and and their job. I don't spend a lot of time worrying about what other actors do on set. I just focus on what I'm supposed to do, make sure I'm ready, and uh, you know if you if you happen to you know hit it off with your castmates and you can have a great time, great. If not, you're there to do a job. I don't know one do thing for as a director. One thing an actor can do that I appreciate immensely is when the camera is not pointed at you, but you're still acting with another actor. Give them something to act with. You know, not to toot my own horn, but I've been complimented on that. You know, I, every take, even if it, even if I'm not on camera visible, um, I, you know, you're giving give the other actor something to react to. It can make a huge difference. Like maybe a facial gesture you make triggers something in them just naturally that works. I mean, yeah, I remember watching an interview with uh, Frank Darabont talking about making the Green Mile, and he said, you know, the camera was on the guy playing John Coffey, and now I can't remember his name. And Darabont just happened to glance over, and off camera, Tom Hanks is giving like an Academy Award winning take. But it's his reaction to what John Coffey is doing that's giving him the ability to act while he's on camera. So it. They really say that acting is reacting, and yeah. it really is. Um, and, you know, you can do it without somebody else there, um, but it's it's definitely makes your job a lot easier when your partner's helping. Same thing in wrestling. You know, you're only as good as your opponent. You're only, you only look as good as the person that you're working with. I hate, I mean, it. Been, I hate it when actors just wait for their turn to talk. Like, you can just tell they're yeah. just they're waiting for their turn to deliver a line. Honestly, wrestling was probably the best school I ever had as far as learning. Not necessarily acting, because it's a completely different skill set, you know, as far as, you know, projecting and everything that you have right. to do in wrestling. But, um, you know, as far as learning how to give and take with a partner, you know, one of the one of the things I hate the most, and it almost only happens on commercials. They'll bring like four of us in at the same time, and you know we're all supposed to be you know feeding each other lines and, and doing the scene together. And uh, there'll be two chuckleheads in there that don't know what they're doing, and, and they suck. And I'm just, I walk out of the room going, "Well, that's it for me. I'm not getting that call back." And it inspires you to do better if, if the person across from you is killing it. You know. You you may be tired. It may be the twenty fifth time that you've done that same scene in a in a two hour span, and you're tired and your feet hurt, you know. But you see that person standing across from you, and they're killing it, you know. It's it's again like wrestling. I've blown my knee out in a wrestling match and finished the match because <laughs> the adrenaline was going. The the other person worked with me and understood that I was hurt and did their part to, you know, work, incorporate that into the into the show. My kid's gotten into wrestling, which has brought me around to 
Um, he's also into Rocky. We recently watched Creed. He has declared it <laughs> the second best Rocky movie of all time. And his, yeah, it's my third. It's my third favorite, but I think it's the second best. My second favorite is definitely Rocky Three, but only because of Clubber Lang. His favorite is is Rocky Four. Wow. His favorite you is. You need to have a talk with him. Yeah, he he really likes Rocky Four. Whatever, dude. That montage, man, with Dolph Lundgren. You yeah, know? I'm a. No, the, the 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 snow montage in Rocky Four. Yeah, awesome. right. I, no, he, I yeah, so he thought the snow that, was awesome. Burning hard on that same on that same Nissan commercial I shot. I was about a hundred yards away from Apollo Creed for about two hours, and the director swore to me that he would he would get me a picture with him, and uh, and then all of a sudden like, oh, Carl just left, and I was just heartbroken uh, because I am I am such a mark for Rocky movies, man. So, I am such a mark. I will watch even the even Rocky Five, man. I'll watch it. Yo, you know, I don't know why you keep wanting me to do these things. You know, you like uh, talking to me like I'm some kind of you know, monkey or something. You know, like I'm a trained monkey. Like I'm supposed to just, you know, like, hey, yo, look at me. I'm a rock pop boy. You know, that's, that's the best I can do right now. I haven't had my hot tea yet. Oh, uh, he man. he did such a great job of writing a character that he could always play. Yeah, I mean, I mean, two of the most iconic figures in American cinema are Rocky Balboa and John Rambo. I mean, what 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 defines the '80s really more than Rocky and Rambo? Uh, I know you're a big fan of finding obscure movies on Netflix to watch. Give us your top for, top three obscure movies on Netflix you've watched recently. As far as quality, or just like the ones you like, the ones you like. Don't worry about if they're good or not. Just the ones that Pat was like. I like that the movie. Three, I'm going to watch it again. Okay. If watching it again is a criteria, I watched Hush twice. Oh, um, I thought I'm it was, with you. I really it, liked Hush. It, Brian hated it. Guys, but. no. Hush was terrible, man. Hush was bad. It had the same, it had the same problems that most really low-budget horror movies have, but it was well. I thought it was well done. I thought the actress was, was fantastic, and it had some really good moments of building tension, which has been lost in horror a lot. Uh, over the last 20 or 30 years, I saw one of my a movie that I've probably watched five times now. It's called Zombievers. I haven't seen um, it, but I have it heard is, that it is hilarious. It, it it really is, and it's 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 not stupid because it's stupid. It's stupid because they're trying to make it fun. Yes, you know, it's, it's it's intentionally stupid. John Bifus, the uh, then, critic for Commercial Appeal, recommended I watch that. He said he he loved it. If you love good campy horror movies, man, you can't go wrong. You can't go wrong with Zombievers. Um, and I'm probably leaving some stuff off here, but like the last one that I watched, uh, Zombies, which is a terrible, terrible, terrible CGI. Like if Jurassic Park had the, had a five hundred thousand dollar budget, and instead of dinosaurs, it is uh, zoo animals that are infected with a zombie virus. Oh, that sounds terrible. It in the best way. <laughs> Little Dead Riding Hood was was not was not not great, but also awesome. Well, looking at the time, um, I know you said you had to go. So, anything you want to plug yeah, coming up? Actually, or? actually, yeah, I will give one piece of advice to young actors: be very careful who you allow to teach you. Um, just like in wrestling, I think half of the people we trained were having to be retaught because they they went for the cheap option and didn't learn right, and now we have to fix all their problems, and it's a lot easier to just learn the right way than it is to uh, get screwed up and then have to fix your, your mistakes that you've turned into habits. 
if someone says, I can help you audition, I can help you uh, with your career, I can help you learn how to act better, look at their IMDb page, if they have one, and then say to yourself, does this person have any business guiding my career? Where's their career? But the, the, the basic stuff you learn early on, those are the habits you're going to form. And you don't want to be taught the wrong way. You don't want someone trying to teach you how to audition in front of a, a Hollywood casting director that has never been in front of a Hollywood casting director. Be really careful who you give your money to and who you take advice from. There are people out there that can give you proper advice. There's books you can read that will give you proper advice. But be really careful because if this is something you seriously want to do, you need to take it seriously. There's plenty of people out there willing to sell you snake oil. Well, thank you guys so much for having me on. Yeah, sure. yeah, sure thing, man. All right, guys, so that's going to do it for us tonight. Thank you so much for listening to our show. If you guys want to get in contact with us, our email address is themoviecrew at gmail.com. That's themoviecrew. Crew is spelled C-R-E-W-E, extra E at the end, at gmail.com. And, guys, if you want to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, all the cool kids are doing it these days, I'm told. Uh, we're at moviecrewpod, and crew is actually spelled correctly that time. Uh, and we're on Twitter, we're Facebook, all that other stuff awesome jazz and usually we do a piece of music that we like to leave our listeners with um so since mr patrick cox was in the dark knight rises we're gonna play a little bit from the soundtrack of the dark knight rises composed by mr hans zimmer we're gonna play track three gotham's reckoning enjoy 